Well, one of the spots that I'm uh, upset that we're not going to be able to see this year, Mike Farwell, is the wonderful confines of the arena up in North Bay. Do you feel the same way? Chris, I couldn't agree more for a couple of reasons. One is it was an arena that Don Cameron always talked about and raved about. And remember, when I first started working with Don, uh, there was no North Bay. It was still... Brampton. So he would refer back to the North Bay Centennials. And he said that they kept such a meticulous building that you could eat off the floors of the concourse. So I looked so forward to getting there and starting to cover games. And of course, you've got the portrait of the Queen. You're in the Great White North. And we are denied the opportunity for that and to see our friends like Matt Sukram again this year. Matt, thanks for joining us, buddy. Hey, great. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, going to miss seeing uh, you guys uh, make the one trip up uh, this year. How disappointed were you not to have a season last year? Yeah, absolutely disappointing, especially because um, the battalion were supposed to be really good. And, and after a couple of years where they weren't that, um, it would have been it would have been really fun to see that team that uh, general manager Adam Dennis put together. But yeah, definitely disappointing. Um, just cause it, you, you saw other sports finding a way to, to kind of, um, have some kind of a, a season, but I totally get why they couldn't justify putting one together. Um, there was so many unknowns, but yeah, definitely disappointing when, uh, your, your life kind of revolves around going to a hockey rink every week to not be able to do that was, was kind of weird. You mentioned uh, general manager and OHL alum, Adam Dennis, of course, former Guelph Storm, former London Knight. And we've been going alphabetically through the league on our summer podcasts. So we just had Adam on our London podcast when we checked in right. with the night. So uh, check that one out if you haven't already. And, you know, Matt, you, you go back to the disappointment that we all feel because we cover the game. We know fans felt that disappointment not being able to get back. But I guess if we look back to where the battalion were at when things all came crashing down in the spring of 2020, uh, there weren't that many games left in the regular season. And that was going to be it for the battalion that year because last place and no chance really of, of moving up. So really what was missed out on is, is what could have been that very good year for a, an improving club. Yeah, that's the big thing that was missed out. And when when they when they stopped playing, they were 17, 41 and four. So it had been a long 2019, 2020 season. And the funny thing was, though, they were six, uh, uh, six points back of that final playoff spot that uh, Niagara and uh, Kingston were vying for. Well, vying for. It seemed like they didn't even want that playoff spot at that point either because everything started to kind of revolve around who's going to get that first overall draft pick. So what was kind of interesting was that when Ryan Olihan came in and and Adam Dennis took over as the uh, full-time general manager with with uh, Stan Butler moving to an advisory role the team actually started to play a little better and then they went on a little bit of a run at the end of that season um so a lot of people in North Bay were kind of going wow it's great to see that this young team is now starting to come together 
but we also kind of want that first overall draft pick. So it was, it was kind of funny to see how, how fans were reacting uh, to, to the way that season finished. Now, obviously the players were, were, were trying their best and they were hoping to, to maybe move up in the standings. Um, but obviously it wasn't uh, to be so as, as the COVID pandemic uh, set in and, not only did the troops finish uh, last in the East and last in the OHL, but they were actually the last place team in the entire CHL. And so I think what was interesting is that you have this new group uh, that came in that was going to be making all the decisions for a, a team that never really envisioned themselves as being um, at the bottom of the league. Um, the owner, Scott Abbott even came out and said their mandate was to always make the playoffs and, and now they had to kind of rethink and reshift that focus on going, okay, maybe missing the playoffs isn't the worst thing in the world if you if we have to retool and and rebuild from that point going forward. So um yeah, I think with with Ryan Olan and Adam Adam Dennis at the helm, um it it it's disappointing that we didn't get a season because they really liked the players that they picked in the draft and then wanting to see a second year out of guys like Liam Marnsby and, and the Christopolis twins, uh, Paul and Alex and, and Joe Verbedek in between the pipes. It, I think we missed out on what could have been a really entertaining season. You also missed out on the first year of Ty Nelson being the first that overall too. pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, what's, yeah what's, what's the, what's the mood around North Bay when it comes to a guy like Ty Nelson, the first overall selection? Really excited. I mean, they, the, the fans have been watching what he's been putting on his social media and just going, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that this kid is ours. Like we can't wait to, to see him in, in a North Bay uniform and actually playing at Memorial gardens. Um, just cause he, he really seems like he could be a, a game changer. I mean, um, what do you have? 32 points, um, in 33 games, uh, which led all defensemen in, in, uh, it, with the, when he was playing with the to- Toronto junior Canadians, I believe. So, I mean, that was the excitement, uh, behind getting that, that first overall pick was going, okay, we're going to get a guy that's going to come in here and has the potential to completely changed the 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 attitude around where this team was from a year ago let's stay with the draft for just half a moment a bit of a tangent i acknowledge but sudbury i mean practically neighbors and for the third time in seven years they win the draft lottery well not they didn't win the lottery for the third time in seven years but for the third time in seven years they've got the first overall pick because they won the first ever ohl draft lottery any animosity there in the bay about your uh, neighbors down the road (laughs) yeah I, i think there's a little bit only because they they played their rebuild plan out to a t getting guys like Quentin Byfield that came in and made an immediate impact. Um, and then that year they had with uh, uh, Lukanen in between the pipes. I mean, he was, I believe he won player of the year uh, within the OHL, right? So, or at least goaltender of the year. So I think that's where the animosity comes from is going, okay, if Sudbury was able to do that, we should be able to do it too. And then with the fact that Sudbury never really had to go through a bad season to then get another first round traffic. It's like, okay, come on. What's, what's the deal here, but that will at least make the rivalry fun. Um, since the battalion moved to North Bay outside of year one, there hasn't really been another year where both teams were 
super competitive years one through year one um north bay actually overtook sudbury for the central division title on basically the last weekend of play and that was awesome to see from a north bay point of view anyway um and then years i guess two through four north bay had been a little more competitive than than sudbury had been and then the last two years Sudbury had been way better than North Bay. So the games are always competitive between the two clubs, but we're still waiting for that real playoff run or playoff series between the two teams. They haven't had that since, uh, since they moved up here yet. You mentioned UPL at a Sudbury uh, up in North Bay. You guys got a big goaltender of your own in Joe Verbetic. Uh, Adam Dennis went out and got some old or an older goaltender to kind of guide uh, Rebetic, mm-hmm. if you will. And now with him being drafted to the NHL, what do you expect to see in his game taking that next step? Yeah, that's going to be huge uh, for North Bay. Obviously, anytime any player gets drafted, there's that elevation factor of going, okay, now that I belong to that NHL club, I've got to show them that there's a reason they drafted me and there's a reason they want to sign me. But uh, I think for, for Joe, he's been in this position before where he's had um, a lot of the outside uh, pressure looking in on him. I mean, he was a member of the uh, the Canada Black U-17 team back in 2018. So he's, I think he's got that potential to even be on the Team Canada radar for the World Juniors. Um, it's a lot of pressure for, for a young guy. But, I mean, if you have a really strong number one goaltender, um, we know in the OHL that takes you a long way and, and can can really – set the difference between where those top teams are in the conference and, and where those middle tier teams are. And I think for, for Joe, he played really, really well down the stretch when that 2019, 2020 season was coming to an end. I mean, he was one of the difference makers in terms of the battalion finishing on a six, three and one run towards the end of that season, because he was really starting to come into his own. So, I mean, going back to what we might've missed out on in, in 2020, 21, seeing the evolution of, of Joe Verbetic is uh, something people are going to go, man, I really wish we, we had that extra year of seeing him um, really take over that, that number one, goaltender spot but what's kind of cool now is when this season starts the battalion will actually have on their player list some nhl affiliates next to some of their players names they didn't have any uh the last uh two years so that's going to be pretty cool for for north bay battalion fans to see and 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 maybe raises that level of expectation up for for some of these players so we know matt that it's it's a complete guess from everybody that follows this game and fans can have all the hopes that they want and teams can have the best plans that they want to lay out but we've got two crops of rookies coming into a new season and we don't know what happened to the returning players during their year off how much if at all they were able to get onto the ice able to develop absent the team etc what's your best guess as to what this battalion team looks like as we look ahead to october and the start of a new season I can envision them competing for that central division title. That is the trajectory of what this team had laid out was that last year was supposed to be 
not not a rebuild, but definitely a step forward into going from the bottom of the standings to being a competitive team. Um, and so this year, yes, your your first year players from two years ago are now your third year guys minus a year in between. But that's something that every single team is going to have to adjust to. And, and, and so I think they've got a good older crop coming back. They've got guys like Brandon Coe, um, who is affiliated with the, with the San Jose, uh, San Jose Sharks team. Um, they've got Simon Rose coming back on or expected to come back as, uh, as an overage defender, but then their, their defense as a whole is something that should actually be a huge plus for them. In the 2019-20 season, they they picked up Avery Winslow, who was a London Knights uh, draft pick. Um, they got him. They got him in exchange for a couple of draft picks, and he was a difference maker. He was very calming presence on the back end, and so I know the battalion are really expecting big things out of him. So between him and Ty Nelson and Simon Rose, um, and then a third year guy in Paul Christopoulos, they really see that blue line being a deep blue line. And then again with Joe Verbetic uh, in between the pipes, they I think they really are looking at their back end being the strength for them. Um, what's in front of those guys might be a bit of a toss up because you're going to have upwards of probably six to seven full time players that might have never been in the OHL before. Um, but I think some of those guys that are coming back from that 2019, 2020 campaign, they got a lot of ice time and there was a ton of credit that went to assistant coaches, uh, Scott Ray and, and Bill Holder for working with those young guys and seeing that improvement at the end of the year. So I do think that this team has its sights set on competing for that central division title. What would a divisional title do um, to the likes of Adam Dennis and Ryan Ulihan, just as, when it comes to the acceptance around North Bay, because obviously Stan Butler was there for the, since the beginning of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With all due he respect, to Stan. Was, yeah, he certainly was. Um, I think that it just solidifies that they are the right people to be put in place. I think that a lot of people um, were are already on board with them because they aren't technically outsiders coming in. I mean, uh, Adam Dennis was the assistant general manager to Sam Butler. And he also spent time as an assistant coach for the last four or five years, I believe. And then Ryan Olihan was with this team when they moved from Brampton to North Bay. He's also a former Brampton battalion captain. And one of the things that he said in his interview, when he got hired to take over for, for Stan Butler was that you know, he, he is living the battalion uh, kind of lifestyle in his everyday life. It's like everything he, he said, everything he buys is almost in camo colors without even realizing that he's making that choice. It's a subconscious thing. So he, you know, I think for, for the fans in North Bay, I think that if, Ryan and, and Adam can guide this team to a central division title that only further solidifies that they were the right people to put in place. But I think there already has been that acceptance because they weren't, like I said, outsiders coming in. They, they already had a good handle on what this team was. 
It was just putting maybe a new philosophy on, on where the team was headed. It's obviously impossible to talk about the battalion franchise without bringing up the name Stan Butler. He will of course be our feature interview on this episode of OHL stories. Popper, do you remember the day we got to interview Stan? I do. Yeah. In his office, he was so chill. We were afraid though. We were, cause it was after the Rangers morning skate, right? We thought we were going to miss the bus back to the hotel and be left behind or be holding things up because we kind of got this, we had tried to arrange it. We got this last minute message right from Stan. Hey, I'm in my office, just come by. And I guess he was in a talkative mood because Holy cow, did we get into it? And we're like, Stan, we got to go catch the bus. We got to go. <laughs> yeah. We were a little nervous walking out of that room, not seeing any Rangers coaching staff, no Rangers players, no bags. We thought, Oh boy, what did we just do? It's okay. It's North Bay. You can walk anywhere in North Bay. So. That's not a bad point. We weren't dressed for the weather, though. We were not dressed for the weather. Oh, yeah, okay. So, of course, Matt, we do call this podcast OHL Stories. Uh, you got one or more of your favorites from your time covering this league? You've got to have a couple just with Scott Abbott in there, I think. Oh, no? man, come on. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. So with Scott, okay. Here's a, here's a funny one with, with Scott. So I do a lot of, um, play by play for the local television station, Kojiko up here. And one of the, one of the play by things I got to do was for, um, our local wrestling, uh, promotion called Northland wrestling. And so I guess Scott was watching it one day. And, uh, so he comes to, to lunch with us. He looks at me and goes, so Matt, about this wrestling thing, you know it's not real, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but, but the point of being a, a wrestling announcer is, uh, you know, you got to make it exciting and, and you got to make it feel like uh, you don't know what's happening or what's about to come up. It, it's, it's like an act. And he's like, oh, I get that. But, you know, <laughs> you really come across as if these guys are wailing on each other. <laughs> so, it. yeah, that was uh, – but, yeah, like just to, just to pick Scott Abbott's brain when, when we're sitting down to, for, for meals or just in the media room before games, I mean, he has such a wealth of knowledge up there um, just from his timing and covering the league to, to being an owner in the league. Yeah, I've, I've had – many wonderful uh conversations with with scott abbott i've had some great chats with with stan as well um just being on the road with him so often again just picking his brain about junior hockey and and being around it uh for so long um that yeah you 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 just benefit from being able to be around these people um and 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 get and also just getting their feedback on what it is you're doing as a reporter or as a as a play-by-play guy because they do listen to you and so getting some of that feedback um i think has really helped in in my progression um as a broadcaster um there was one story i want to uh share with you guys because it seems like it it gets brought up anytime I, i do a podcast in my first year um that the battalion were up here they're playing a playoff series in barry and uh myself and my uh color commentator maybe almost got arrested live on the air during during a playoff game so things were getting out of hand on the ice and you guys know in barry you're literally right behind the uh the fans there's there's no separation there from the broadcast booth to where the fans are so um, because things were getting out of hand on the ice, uh, 
the people that were sitting right behind the bench actually were leaning over the glass, getting into Stan's face and getting into some of the, the other coaches face. And, and so one of the, um, off ice, uh, assistants for the team ran down. He was sitting beside me in the booth, but he ran down from the booth, went down to where these fans were sitting behind the glass. And he, and he told them to knock it off. Um, maybe using some choice words while he did it, but then he comes back up to the booth and everyone starts, they're either yelling at him and turning around and then pointing fingers at me as if I was egging him on or something. I don't know why we got involved, but then the police came and not, not rink security, actual um, Barry police officers. And they came over while we're trying to, uh, be on the air describing the action, what's happening on the ice and what's spilling out into the stands. And they said, you guys need to come with us. And we were like, no, we have to do a hockey game, but there's like five minutes left in the game. We'll gladly talk to you afterwards, officers. But yeah, after uh, they let us carry on and then we finished out the game and then just kind of told them the situation, Hey, we weren't egging anybody on. Here's what happened. And, so they were like, okay, no problem. So that was, uh, that's always uh, an interesting story uh, of my first year broadcasting in the OHL. Is this junior hockey or is this slap shot? I mean, honestly, that is yeah. wild, eh? And yeah. as a rookie, like, you got to have the wherewithal to tell the uniformed police officers there, excuse oh, yeah. me, but I'm live on a broadcast right now. We actually, I, I told our op to go to commercial, and that's what a lot of people in North Bay will remember is me saying, Brian, Brian, we need to go to commercial. The cops are here. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> maybe. Maybe we'll be back. <laughs> so, Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look at that, Farzi. It's a, uh, that sounds like a story from the Windsor Arena, but it's actually up in Barrie. <laughs> it could be. Exactly. It could be any old arena at any time. And the fans get into it. And, and sometimes we know all too well, Popey, because we get to go everywhere in this league, too, that some of the broadcast locations, and Barrie is one that stands out. Plymouth used to be that way, too. I yeah. kind of feel bad oh, yeah. for the fans that have those seats because I, I think they've got better things to do than listen to us during the game. They want to be, be at the game. I'd be so annoyed if I was a, a, I a spectator. Would, I would, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sooks, thanks a lot for doing this with us, buddy. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Um, yeah, too bad we won't be able to see you guys uh, up in North Bay this year, but I'm sure we'll see you around. Farzi, I know it, uh, it was a bit of a pursuit to get Stan Butler to sit down with us for the podcast, but our discussion was nothing trivial. Stan Butler. Why don't we start with the beautiful creature that we walked by coming in here today, Crosby. Is that the dog hanging out in the, in the room? Is that uh, named after Sid? Yeah, of course. He's named after Sidney. I was, I was lucky enough for four summers, I guess, from Sid from the age of 13 to 17 to, to go uh, to California and run camps. And, you know, he was there with me for all four summers. And the only other adult there was his dad. And it's a kind of a funny story. But they asked me, you know, would you mind having a roommate? And, you know, I said, sure, I'll have a roommate, no problem. The guy comes in, he says, hi, I'm Troy. I said, hi, I'm Stan. I said, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I'm here with my kid. My kid's 13. And I said, well, a lot of really good players here, a lot of NHL first-round draft picks. I said, he must be pretty good. And the next day I got on the ice, and I watched him for 10 minutes. And I said, 
he's better than most of these NHL first round picks, and he's, he's he hasn't even played midget hockey yet. So um, we started a relationship then, and uh, you know f- through that camp, Wayne Gretzky actually met him and came on the ice in practice, and I've been lucky enough to to be at Sid's a uh, couple of his Stanley Cup parties I've been invited to, as well as his 21st birthday. So I just thought it was appropriate if I was in hockey to. If I was going to get a dog, I had to call Crosby. And then about two weeks after I got it, uh, his dad, Troy, texted me and wanted my new address. And now Crosby has a Pittsburgh Penguin leash. <laughs> there's a green one over here. So is it a mix between the battalion colors and the Pittsburgh colors for Crosby? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. He's got a green He's got a green collar on, too. I mean, it's, you know, there's your favorite NHL team and then there's your favorite OHL team. So, uh, you know, he, he realizes that... Uh, if he's going to live in North Bay, better cheer for the battalion. <laughs> Just touching on that real quickly, what was it like watching a guy at that age, as you said, outperform some NHL first-rounders? It's it's unbelievable. It's 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 amazing a guy can be that good then. And, you know, it's 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 funny because, you know, like I'm getting a lot of calls now on Spezza because I had Jason Spezza at 15 in Brampton and, and, you know, a lot of the Toronto media are calling and said, you know, how did you know he was that good? Well, it's not a matter that you know that they're good. They just, they just, they just step up. They just show people their skills and whatever. And, and, you know, uh, there's, you know, there's just a few of those guys that come around every so often that are able to do things at a young age that, uh, you know, even other really good players are not capable of doing. You know, when you bring up a name like that, Spezza, and then you think Hodgson, Duchesne, just to name a few of the players that have come through this organization, and and you've been close and you've had tremendous seasons with the battalion over all of the years, can you pick out a, a best team that you were behind the bench for? Well, I think the most talented team was probably our 8 9 team. Uh, we lost in the finals uh, to Windsor. Uh, when you look at both teams in that series now, I mean, we had... Hodson played in the NHL. Thomas McCollum was our goalie. Matt Duchesne was a 17-year-old. Eugenie Gravchap, Matt Clark. I mean, and then but then you know, you're disappointed you lose, and then you go on the other side of the rink, and they have Taylor Hall and Ryan Ellis and Adam Henrik and Greg Nemes, and you know I could go on and on and on. I, I think they had about 12 guys off that team that played, you know, in the NHL, and and, and the, even Connor O'Donnell that played on that team in the fourth lines of referee in the NHL. So, you know, I think that was a you know probably our most talented team, and you know we we lost in overtime, and I think it was Game Five with Duchesne sitting in the box for a penalty but uh, you know and then you know since we've been here um, you know our first year here we lost in the finals to Guelph um, as you guys know and, and you know you've, you've, you've you know when Pete was there they won they won the cup and then they went to the final uh, this is a really really hard league uh, to win in and and I think you know to be honest uh, you know in Brampton if you're at games we draw 1500 1800 people you get in the playoffs and you know you play Barry in the playoffs and they'd have more fans there than you so you know we're in Brampton there's never a home ice advantage since we've been here it's been better but you know there's we're definitely a, a small market team and 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 uh, you know as as much as uh, you know people don't realize is that time there's uh, sometimes a lot more challenges in those markets uh you know, for recruiting, um, especially American kids. I mean, when you look at geography, you know, if I'm a kid from Michigan and I can play in the Western Conference, 
you know, and my parents can see me a bunch of times. Obviously, if I'm going to give up, uh, you know, U.S. college scholarship or whatever, that's a much better option. So, you know, it's it's interesting that way. But, uh, yeah, we produced some good players. I mean, Brent Burns wasn't bad either. And, you know, I mean... He, that what what we always say is we're the best development league in the world and part of when you develop your teams is like the 0809 team i mean we should have had a better team on paper the next year but unfortunately all those guys that are eligible to come back and play end up playing in the nhl so you know that's a challenge i i think for anybody whether you know i don't care what team you're in the league whether it's you know mike mckenzie there in kitchener is just being able to kind of you, 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 you got to have good players but you can't have players that are you know too good because they leave too quick <laughs> stan you mentioned some of the difficulties about how hard it is to win in this league you talked about some of the difficulties of being a small market team but you look at your rosters over the last 20 years it's a laundry list i don't think we'd have time to list all the nhlers or pro players that have come through underneath you even your coaches your assistant coaches under you move on to become head coaches mm-hmm. how have you made it work for so long because in around this league and in the world right now obviously you know a lifetime of a job is short-lived but you've managed to keep the same one for so long yeah i remember there was a time there i think it was the early 2000s where i it was lucky enough to coach the world junior team two times in a row and and obviously there's offers at that time to go to the next level and i remember having a meeting with dave branch and i was looking at the different options and my my daughter's special needs um and at the time, we were at Variety Village in Toronto, which was a really good program. And I remember sitting down with Dave and talking to him about the pros and cons. And, you know, um, he just said to me, you know, what's wrong with being Brian Kilray? And, I mean, obviously, I don't think I'm Brian Kilray. But what what he meant was what's wrong with being a career junior coach? It's no different than, you know, Red, uh, U.S. college coach like Red Berenson in Michigan. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, at that time, I made that decision. That's what I was going to do. I was going to work with young people and help them and, and, and try to move them on. And, you know, as much as, you know, as an organization, we've had some success. I mean, not as much as we would like on the ice, and we produce a lot of NHL players. Uh, we have a lot of successful guys that played for us that, you know, are working on Bay Street now and, and, and doing various things and, and doing very well. So I think when you're in junior hockey, you know, you, you basically not only do you want to develop players as athletes but you want to develop them as human beings as well we're sitting here on a game day casually in the office it's early in the season stan there's not too much to worry about the pressures haven't mounted perhaps at least i mean i could be wrong from your perspective but what keeps the fire in the belly for you to come back for another run at this thing well i I think basically when you're a workaholic I, i i i don't know if 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 retirement is a is a thing you want to do um, you know, obviously, you know, I'm in a situation where I'm I'm getting, you know, I mean, I do want to retire eventually, and but you know, at, at the time right now, as long as I feel that I can contribute to the team, I think I've adapted with kids. I mean, uh, I understand social media. Um, I'm active on social media. I kind of understand where they're at. So as long as I can relate to them and do things like that, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'll keep going. But uh, I would think my clock's uh, closer to, you know, getting over than it was to start. The game and and obviously the dressing room are certainly not the way they used to be. How did you transfer through that transition yourself? 
Well, I, I think it's a big change in our league. You know, like when I started, I was lucky enough to coach the Oshawa Generals, which was a great organization. And, you know, I had Brian Boys there as my, my athletic therapist that could teach me things, and Frank Jay and Wayne Daniels. And, you know, I, I remember that we used to have a dome next door, and, you know, the kids would go over if they wanted to and ride one or two stationary bikes and universal weights. And, and I just watched the league evolve from that to you know, a league that all the rinks became brand new rinks, you know, other than probably Kitchener and North Bay that have had rentals. <laughs> you know, you see these beautiful rinks like in Oshawa and, and places like that, and, and that's how the game's changed. That I guess there was a real recipe for these kids, you know. They want, you know, if we're going to be a development league, we got to move with the times and we got to, you know, put things together that are more up-to-date, and as a result of that, I think we all adapted. I mean, when I first started coaching in the league, uh, you know, I had one. I had an assistant coach in Bill Purcell, who was a fireman who made three thousand dollars a year, and then Johnny Goodwin uh, was uh, worked at Hydro, and he would or the nuclear plant. And he would come over afterwards as a volunteer, and that was our staff. I mean, I taught half time. I, I taught in Scarborough half time. I finished teaching at noon. I eat my lunch on the way from Scarborough to there, and then I go coach. I mean, um, Brian Boyce was at a therapy clinic in the morning, and then he would show up. And Wayne Daniels, our GM, worked at General Motors, and we would have to meet after practice because he was working full days. So it, it's gone from there um, to what it is now. The game itself has changed so much. And if we, I mean, we can go back to the former Centennials here in North Bay, for example. In the mid-80s, the Centennials and the Rangers had some great Donnie Brooks. And that's the way the game was played. And there's a lot of talk about the game itself and how it has changed and whether it has for the better. What do you think of the state of the game of hockey today? Well, I mean, I guess, you know... From a speed and skill standpoint, there's no doubt the game has gone eons, right? It's it's unbelievable. I mean, in a city like North Bay, where they were used to Burt Templeton-type teams and and the toughness in their team, and, you know, Billy Holder just walked out of the room and he was a member of those teams. Uh, you know, I think when we moved here, they really struggled with how the game had changed. Like, they'd be on me like, wow, well, you know, you're... Your team plays too soft, or you do this, you do that. Well, that's just the way the game's changed. And I think as, you know, you look in the NHL now. I mean, in the old days, uh, you know, you look at uh, when I came in the league my first year in Oshawa, we had, you know, on our team we had Eric Bolton, we had Nathan Perry, we had John Tripp, we had Rob McHugh, we had Jeff Ware. Probably had seven guys that were legitimate heavyweight guys and then Peter had Matt Johnson and you look at the NHL now those guys are right out of the league I mean you know you look at the Leafs playing last night their fourth lines Jason Spezza and Trevor Moore and these are highly skilled hockey players so the game's changed speed and skill and I think you know it's just something everybody needs to I guess you know you got to adapt to Throughout the league, as the games change, though, I think anybody that comes into whether it be Brampton or North Bay or when the battalions show up to their building, they realize those two points aren't coming easy because it's a stand by their coach hockey team. <laughs> How yeah, much has your know, ide- no. your identity changed? It's it's kind of funny because you know people make it out, and I, I laugh out. And Pete DeBoer is, is a good friend of mine; he's giving me a hard time about it. But they always have this thing about a trap, and we've never trapped. And you know we've uh, we've we've you know we've been uh, we've been you know we've been good you know good defensive team or whatever, and. You know, I mean, people got to can't lose track. Is you know, I've you know, I mean, uh, I mean, Mark Savard won two scoring championships in a row under me. I mean, uh, you know, Dras- Justin Braswell scored sixty-one goals from a kid out of Midget A Hockey out of Liskard. So, um, you know, we we have our offensive players, but my belief is that kids have got to learn how to play two hundred feet. And if we went over to my other 
GM's to my GM's office. There's a picture of Matt Duchesne there with a gold medal from the Olympics, and you know Matt's a highly highly skilled player. But for Matt to make that Olympic team and win a gold medal, you know he made that team because he could play 200 feet and and things like that. So, you know what I always try to tell the kids is there's very few guys in the game anymore that can just be an offensive guy and, and do nothing else. So. You know, we try to teach our kids how to play both ways. And, you know, rightly or wrongly there, like our our 2000 age group, you know, we didn't have a very good draft. So we're really thin on 19-year-olds. So, you know, it's, yeah, we're we're a responsible defensive team and we work hard. But, you know, if if we're trapping, it's not by design. <laughs> it's it's by fear and intimidation because the players don't want to piss you off. <laughs> I don't even think it's that. It's maybe because we're too slow to get there on time. You know, like I mean, we just we're we're supposed to play an aggressive forecheck and we're just too slow getting there. I mean, maybe uh, I don't know. The ice is uh, harder up here, and guys' skates don't hold it as well. <laughs> you mentioned earlier your use of social media. I got to ask because North Bay was one of the teams in Kitchener for the preseason showcase and you shared a photo of taking the kids for ice cream and you said that Stan Butler was paying that night. Come on, fess up. Is it true? Did you actually open your wallet for that? Yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, I don't have Jay McKee's type of money, but uh, you know what? Uh, you know what? They're still kids. And and what you got to realize in life is that they're 16 to 20 year olds. I think when they put their buckets on, people forget that. And to them, you know, going for ice cream or doing that type of stuff, that's uh, that's a big deal. That's the stuff they never forget. And I mean, I think, you know, if you're going to stay in this game, one thing you can't lose track of is, you know, it's got to be fun. Like, you know, when you when you have a player from the age of 16 to 20 for you, you have them for five years, and you're with them every day of the week. I mean, you're spending more time with them in those five years than his parents are, and more time than you spend with your own kids. So, you you know, you've got you do a lot of things with them, and and you know, they're, it's a stressful time. You know, uh, some kids are studying real hard to get into medical school. These kids are trying really hard to play in the NHL. So you know what? You got to lighten the load sometimes, and and you and you got to. You guys know what it's like to go on the bus all the time. You got to have some fun at times as well. Real quickly on the ice cream note, it's right around the corner from my place where it's, I live. It, it's a it's an awesome place. Like right? I got, I can't take credit for that. Our bus driver George found it, and uh, I just told him find me a place where there's scoops. <laughs> I love it. Just real quickly before we let you go, you mentioned that about having fun on the one side of the game and but also keeping the seriousness. Nowadays, how much of it is coaching and how much of it is also being that guardian? Well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I, I think the biggest thing today with, with coaching is managing people. And what I mean by that is managing expectations, managing communicating uh, to the players. There's a lot more meetings now. When I first started, you said it, they did it. I mean, now it's more, you know, you, you talk people through things, you explain them why you're doing it. I think uh, the philosophy, what's in it for me works nowadays, where you show a guy if you do this, this, and this, you know, you can play in the National Hockey League, and this is how much money you'll make. Um, you know, we have a young guy here, Brandon Cole, that, you know, he's a little bit inconsistent sometimes. In the summer, I arrange for him to, you know, go up to Matt Duchesne's house in Halliburton and spend a day there and, and just work out with him and see what it's like and, and give him some perspective. So I think the biggest thing with kids today is communicating what you want. Explain to them how it benefits them because I think with the, the youth of today, it's all about buy-in. And if they buy in, they're fine. But if they don't buy in, then they're not going to be as easy to deal with. 
appreciate the time, Stan. Thanks very much for this. Anytime, guys. Thanks a lot, Stan. That was awesome. Yeah, no That's problem. That's great. I really yeah, appreciate yeah. it. No Thank problem. you. Yeah. No, good. Yeah, it's funny. One of the funny Jay McKee stories I'll tell you is... Uh, Oh, turn now, yeah, on. come on, turn, turn it back on. on. Yeah, you, you, you can tell, Jay, this is this you, a usable one or not? Yeah, usable? This is this is uh, this is a good one. Yeah. Oh, can we use it? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Sure. Real quickly, <laughs> we just just hung up the podcast, but Stan, you have a Jay McKee story for us. Well, you know what? It was funny. A few years ago, they asked me. There was a bunch of changes, and guys got promoted to to NHL teams. So. Um, what they did is uh, they asked me to come back and, 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 I guess, unretire my Team Canada wardrobe and go back and coach the under-18 team. And I can remember, uh, you know, they were looking for guest coaches. And, you know, I, I said to them, like, I thought one of the most up-and-coming guys in the game is Jay McKee and they should take him. So they took Jay to the... Uh, to the to the to the camp and he did as always an amazing job and part of the guest coach's jobs was when players were released they had to walk them out to the bus and the gym the team was dale degree and obviously you know as a coach at that level the gyms make the thing well they released uh, a player who played for the kitchen rangers i'll leave it at that and i look out the window and there's jay walking beside him taking him out to the bus and I was just thinking, I wonder what that conversation's like, and I wonder what it's going to be like when they get back to Kitchener. <laughs> Yikes. We'll find out. Yeah. We'll know who the player was. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. Had all, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.